why people are spending 10, 20,000, hundreds of thousands on a booth, right? When you can send 10 employees, spend a quarter of the amount of money, probably 10% of the amount of money, and just have them just run around. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Yo, yo, welcome to the show. It's episode 116. Today, we're talking about building an automation company on ambition and hustle with Malachi Greb. Malachi is the owner of Elite Automation, an up-and-coming group specializing in the design, engineering, programming, and installation of automation equipment based in Evansville, Indiana. Now, I'm not lying when I say that there might not be anyone out there hustling harder than Malachi and his team right now. I want to be clear that I'm using the word hustle with a positive connotation, like if you're familiar with individuals like Gary Vaynerchuk that are constantly sharing a ton of content around their industry, the content that Malachi and his team are sharing could be anything from their day to day, it could be behind the scenes, but most importantly, it's a bunch of value added stuff that you can learn from in the manufacturing industry. That's exactly what that group is doing. And I've personally gotten to know Malachi over the past year because he's literally been at every trade show that I've been to. So it was only fitting that this interview took place at a trade show as well. I'm going to give you a bit more background here in a second, but before I go any further, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we're going to get to hear Malachi's background and how he literally walked into the robotics and automation world. Second, we'll talk about guerrilla marketing and trade show strategy. Lots of good actionable tips in this part of the conversation. Third, we'll hear what it was like for Malachi when he ventured into his first international projects, and we'll hear what his big dreams are for elite automation. Now, I do want to let you know that there are a couple of unique aspects to this episode. First, this episode is co-hosted with Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial. I know most of you are probably familiar with him. Jake's a big name in the industry. He first appeared on episode 41 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. And if you're a frequent listener, you've probably heard our collaborative greatest hit style episodes that we do at trade shows together. That's the second thing I wanted to mention. We actually did this long, full-length episode with Malachi at the 2022 Vision Show and AMR and Logistics Conference in Boston. That was hosted by A3, regular listeners. Again, you probably know that we do a ton of collaborations with A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. And I'm going to say that there's no coincidence that today, Tuesday, November 15th, 2022, when this episode is coming out... This day is also the same day that registration opens for their massive 2023 event, The Automate Show. Yes, Jake and I are going to be broadcasting there again in 2023, and we hope that you will join us. This event is May 22nd through 25th, 2023 in Detroit, Michigan. It's literally, honestly, one of the most fun events we did here in 2022, biggest events in the industry. It's free to register, so if you want to get a jump on 2023, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023 to register today. And as always, if you tune into this episode after May 2023, well, you can always hear what A3 is up to by going to automate.org to hear about their current events right there. 
Okay, just two more quick things before we get rolling. If you want to learn more after this episode's done, if you want to access any of the links, connect with Malachi or hear his new podcast, The Manufacturing Come Up, well, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 116. And finally, if you want to take part in conversations like this, be a part of our Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community, well, head to LinkedIn, or I should say head to this link that'll take you to our group on LinkedIn, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. We're having regular conversations there. Again, there are over 600 of us on LinkedIn where this group exists. Just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community, request to join, shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn so I know who you are. We'd love to have you in that crew. All right, let's head back to the trade show and meet up with Malachi for today's conversation. This is a first for us, actually. So a, a couple firsts. This is the first ever long-form episode that we're doing at a trade show. Malachi, it's great to have you here. And uh, Jake, you're going to be co-hosting yeah. this one as well. We've done it before, but it's typically for like quick hit Shorter segments. type content. So uh, an experimental episode in many ways. But one thing that hasn't changed is we're still starting off with the typical manufacturing happy hour question. So Malachi... You're based in Evansville, Indiana. If we were having this conversation in person over a drink, where would that be? Uh, definitely be probably somewhere down on Franklin Street because that is a nice spot that we actually have that has a few different bars on it. And there's one bar uh, named Bud's. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about that bar is it used to be a Bud's Harley-Davidson store. Oh, cool. That's that really is cool. cool. Do they have, like, is it still kind of Harley-themed? Is it reminiscent of that, or did they wipe it clean? It definitely still has a little bit of that vibe. It, it still attracts that crowd <laughs> and uh, the legacy of that 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 company being there for so many years. Yeah, kind of brought that crowd there. All right. Well, so we're drinking on Franklin Street yeah. in Evans Evansville, Indiana. So, my first question is: If someone asks you, "Hey, Malachi, what does Elite Automation do?" How do you answer that? As if you're having a casual conversation at an old biker bar with sure. someone. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people kind of don't understand what we say when we say we're systems integrators. Yep. Uh, but essentially, one of the core things that we're focused on is robotic welding applications, which means it's a robot that is welding diff- various different parts. A lot of times it's uh, manufacturing automotive, uh, so automotive uh, car assembly and, and welding. And we're doing everything from the full capital project of that to mm-hmm. uh, the, the fixture design and manufacturing and then we're also doing other stuff, newer technologies. We're trying to follow the technologies and stuff like AMRs, which mm-hmm. are the yep. same as like AGVs, yep. uh, but more advanced to have more capabilities, less cost to deploy them. Bin picking is another big one yep. because before there wasn't really good, reliable bin picking. Bin picking has been out for years, so have AMRs, but the reliability is much more there now. Mm-hmm. And I would assume the risk from a systems integrator perspective of there's a lot more opportunity for you to integrate and deploy a solution now that the system's a lot more developed yeah. than before. It must have felt a lot more peace and development and not just deploying a solution. It was developing the solution yeah. in the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I come from a vision background, and as a company, we don't focus on vision very much because I don't like the risk that's involved with it. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. and you had also explained when we were starting, hey, there are a few areas we're really focused on, right? Uh, welding, AMRs, and bin picking were three of the ones you highlighted. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but 
we want to get to know you and your story a little bit first. Sure. And I think Jake has the most appropriate question yeah. to kick uh, how that did, off with. How did Elite Automation get started? Or I guess, how did you first get started in the industry? And then how did Elite come about? Yeah, sure. In reality, I didn't really know what I was going to do for a career path. I was kind of just wandering around, and I literally wandered into a community college and was like, hey, guys, I need to do something. I don't know what it is. What do you guys have? They started listing off these different things, automotive, there was like welding, and they said automation. I'm like, what's that? And she's listing off some things. She got to robots, and I'm like, that one. Really? Awesome. <laughs> wow. Do you think, I'm, I'm curious, like, because you, you're saying you walked into the community college and you were looking for help to pick what you were going to do. Did you feel like it was it was a smooth process, or as, as you're doing this, is this part of your mission to, like, make that easier so more people know that those type of career exists so that they're not, like, walking in blind to the community college asking, hey, what should I do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason why we, we started our podcast is, like, I was that person that didn't know a career path at all. I didn't know where to start, anything like that. And I think through telling people stories of how they got to where they're at, mm-hmm. it will influence and educate people to be able to make those career path decisions early on in their career to guide them for the rest of their lives. So your experience is going to college, getting an associate's degree mm-hmm. in industrial automation. Would that be the title of it? Yeah. So I actually, at that point in time, I was like, uh, I was insecure and so I was very much resume building. So I, uh, I I got an industrial technologies degree with like a mechanical and electrical certification underneath it. And then I got a second associate's degree in uh, advanced automation and robotics and some other certification things as well. What was the timeline to do all of that? I think I c- accomplished it in three years. It's not bad at all. No, that's not Quicker bad than at a college. Yeah. Dude, that's four-year degree right there. Yeah. Shaved a year off. I was, yeah, I was very strategic in how I planned my electives. So like any elective, it would have been four years, but I chose mm. all my electives for the one degree that applied towards classes of the next degree. Yep. Mm. And so it just lined up Double very dips. nicely. Yeah. I, I have another topic about being strategic that I think everyone that follows you on LinkedIn sees you at trade shows know, and that's with... I mean, basically guerrilla marketing in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, let, let's start off with a story that some of our listeners might know if they went to, like, the Automate show in Detroit this year. But probably most people aren't familiar with it. So tell me about your car and where you park it when you go to events. Yeah, so uh, we have a wrap vehicle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely industry pushing. Actually, whenever I did it, I was posting stuff on LinkedIn three years ago or whatever it was. And I was getting a lot of pushback. People were like, nobody's going to want to see that in their parking lot, da, da, da. That's one thing I know marketing is going to perform pretty well. Yeah. If, if people start to say, <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, like generally it, it tends to, to capture eyeballs, capture yeah. attention. Yeah. It's at least worth a shot, right? Because it's something new that people are uncomfortable with. So even if they're naysaying, right? Yeah. Got to give it a shot at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I do this so much, like it don't matter where I go, my kids are like, Dad, that's marketing parking. Go get that one. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah and uh so like uh what was it we were in chicago and you know we're going for our marketing parking and we happened to kind of accidentally park in fire in front of a fire hydrant (laughs) and get impounded yeah so so we paid we paid like uh three hundred dollars for that marketing parking that day i i can tell you there are a lot of people that spend a lot more on that marketing budget for far (laughs) less results so at least i mean but i've also seen you you did it in detroit like you literally if i remember the story right you tipped the 
the parking attendant extra to be like, can I get this spot right yeah. on the corner where everyone's going to walk by? And and I think you said it before we were chatting, like uh, other people in the industry will take photos, they'll post it to LinkedIn. So you're turning that into organic content yeah. that other people are seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question would be, how are you creating growth in the industry? Because tell us more about Elite. How many employees are, are at Elite right now? We're at 25. 25 employees now. Yeah. And how long has Elite been going for? Three years. Three years. So what does that growth look like? And, and how have you guys been able to establish that growth over the last three years? I mean, it's definitely been a super wild transition because every year we've doubled. I mean, the first year it was just like me. And then I think that by the end of that year, we was at like four employees, five, something like that. And then uh, maybe like 15 by the end of the second year, and, and now we're at 25. I think a lot of those things have been being strategic, taking on projects that are that are uh, very profitable. And, and honestly, like we're always doing things very strategically and always focused on becoming the largest company in the world. So we are, we're, or at least we're doing interviews weekly, mm -hmm. right? We mm -hmm. probably do at least five interviews a week, every single yeah. week, no matter if we're hiring or not. And we're doing that because we're building a backlog of, of individuals. So like whenever we win a project, boom, we need to hire three people right now. We need yeah. three robotic welders. We need a vision expert. We need a, whatever that may be. And then, and then from there it's boom, we win that. We hire the engineers. We, then say, okay, we just hired engineers that we have to keep employed for, for the next month's coming. So when this project's over with in three, six, nine months, whatever it is, we need to keep them employed. So now it's, it's you know, deploying somebody either on like lead generation sales, yeah. mm -hmm. one of those positions to then f start feeding the company more leads and whatnot. So that way, nine months from now, those jobs are there for those individuals. What I, what I like about your stories and pretty much everything you share, there's a long-term perspective there. You mentioned you want to be the biggest company in the world. We're going to get back to that a little bit later. But first, when it comes to, I'm going to go back to like this guerrilla marketing you do. In addition sure. to that, we see you at every trade show now. You're literally walking around. Um, people in the industry are starting to recognize you, and you're doing interviews. You really recently came out with uh, the Manufacturing Come Up podcast. And even before that, you're sharing multiple times a day yep. on social media the tech you're seeing the type of things you run into i'm curious what what when and why did you adopt that strategy because elite automation has been around for three years but in all honesty it feels very recent i that yeah. you guys have really started yeah. to push like in the past six months two years when i'm like i'm seeing elite automation all the time yeah mm -hmm. so tell me how you came up with that strategy when you started to work that in yeah so one thing that's definitely had an impact is like this year, we've had the most most growth in our marketing. I think we have four or five full-time marketing individuals. Wow. wow. That's so, huge. So that's a big deal right there, right? That's uh, uh, And there are some people are working on different things. Like We have one person that's just working on collecting data for these shows here. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the cost for a booth? And, and, you know, what does attendee look like? That's a little bit of the reason why we're out here is, like, what shows do we want to be at? Right? Mm -hmm. what's, what are going to be the most valuable to our customers and to us as we grow? How are you pri prioritizing that right now? Because I see you at a lot of them, but like, how do you say yes on this one, mm -hmm. no on this one, for example? Sure. So as far as attending, mm -hmm. it's yes to all of them. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. It ha it's having the booth when you start spending the money. Yeah. Right. That's another yeah. big thing to me is like why people are are, are spending ten, twenty thousand, hundreds of thousands on a booth, right? Mm -hmm. When you can send ten employees, spend a quarter of the amount of money, probably ten percent of the amount of money. Yeah. And just have them just running around. 
Yeah. That's a huge takeaway for – I'm just going to address the audience real quick, yeah. right? Like, that's huge because I think most people think of it – it's like, oh, I'm going to go and just walk the show floor. I'm going to get a booth. But when you show up and you don't have a booth, which is probably more often than not what I've seen from yep. you so far, you're out there creating content. You're out – you have your list. You're actually – you know, for this show, you created like a demo schedule, which was basically just yeah. the schedule of all the equipment demos that were taking place. But you're sharing that to your audience and saying, hey, if you're at this event, go check this and out. And I think we're seeing, as Chris and I have talked about on previous podcasts, go into trade show with a plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're going in there and you haven't even begun to prep for the show leading up to it, you're not going to get the value and the success out of that show that you want to be And I think we're seeing that from you is – you're making announcements ahead of time. You're talking to people ahead of time. And I think there's there's definitely – there must be a return yeah. that you're seeing as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we're doing that for the education to people and to provide value because we're mm-hmm. always pushing the marketing team. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want the things to be about us. I want the things to be educational, provide value. Like, like, I, like one of the things I told them is, like, I really want to stop doing the elite is attending. I was mm. like, there's no value in that. We're not we're not giving anybody any value. We need to we can say we're attending, but you also need to say this is gonna be there, that's gonna be there, that's gonna be there, check out these booths, you know. You're iterating. I mean that's what you're saying, yeah. right? I mean the the reality is you can make those comments and refine your strategy because you've gone to a number of trade shows and you're like, Elite is attending, elite is attending. But is but you look at it and you say, you know what, maybe it's more valuable if we say this is what's gonna happen at the show. And by the way, it just happens to be posted by elite automation. And I think that's something that everyone can take away from this with, with the manufacturers out there. The reality is the only way to figure out what the right content to share is to share the content you think is right. You can probably get pretty close to it, but your audience is going to start telling you what that is. And you're taking that feedback and you're constantly evolving the way you do things when you show up to these events. Yeah, absolutely. So before we move on from, from this topic, I'm curious, what are some of the results you've seen so far, right? Because this is a long-term play, right? This, and especially when it comes to, like, value-added yeah. content. It's not necessarily someone's calling you up the next day. But what are the little, let's say, little wins that you're seeing where, where you're like, this is the right strategy. We need to keep sharing value. We need to keep going to events. One is definitely the amount of notoriety we're already getting that's the hugest one and like you said it's a long-term thing Mm -hmm. i'm telling our coo of the company that we can't expect a return today it's three years from now when we see a return and they're a little bit more focused on on the right now things but i do definitely see some immediate success in the contacts that we currently have that's coming from our more of our direct sales they're coming to us and like, actually, yeah, I've seen you guys already. I'm, I'm aware of your company. And, and so that's, uh, I think, helped push us forward in winning projects and also winning uh, bigger bigger projects, right? There's more of a confidence already built there uh, for us as a company. I mean, you can't sum it up any better than yeah. that, right? Like, that's the whole idea behind that because there's a little bit of awareness. They know who you are. You've built some trust because you've been sharing stuff that they otherwise wouldn't have seen at an event like yeah. Um, the vision show, yeah. where we are today. So I want to step into more of just the brain that you have. And you started Elite three years ago. What's it been? Can you share some stories of what has been working with partners? And not the customer partners, but the partners of the robot manufacturers, or the PLC manufacturers, or when you do vision, you don't do vision often, but when you do vision um, or welding, what's it been like as a smaller company Mm-hmm. to work with some of the giants in the industry and to get recognized in the support uh, of growing that up for people who are listening to this podcast. And they say, you know, I might just be 
five or ten guys right now, and yep. I just don't feel like I'm getting the recognition that I should because they're working sure. with the 200-employee giant systems yep. integrators. Yeah. I mean, in, in all transparency and honesty, this year has been the year where we've just now started to breach into that. Even for myself still, there's like, let's say, insecurities. I truly believe in adding value, right? And so I know we need to be big enough of a company for us to add value to those vendors. We need to be able to sell 30, 100, 200 robots a year for, for us, for what I would say to consider us to be valuable, right? Especially for the big dogs out there, right? Now, if yeah. you have like new, uh, new companies like uh, Elite Robots just reached out to us for, for partnership and whatnot. And, uh, you know, so they're not as quite as big as like a UR. So we can probably offer some impact and, and actual uh, maybe noticeable numbers for them. But yeah, I think these years to come are definitely going to be much more of the partnership style things. While I was here at this event, one of Yaskawa's managers called me and and was in discussion about weld applications and how one of their biggest downfalls are not having somebody to do the fixture design part of it. So you're listening to customers, partners on what you need to add the portfolio. Actually, that kind of goes into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. You know, you've mentioned some of the big dreams that you have around this. We're going to get, this is a two-part question. <laughs> That'll be part two. Part one is, why have welding and AMRs and bin picking become your immediate area of focus? Sure, sure. So I actually, me personally, I came from material handling and a lot of vision. They, the company I came from had proprietary vision. But the thing is, it's, it's adding value to the customer because uh, that's really where a business is successful. It's when it adds value to another company or individuals. And a big thing that we notice, and also for us, just like selfishly, it's good business model doing automobile welding applications because they're very repetitive. You know, mm-hmm. we, we land a customer, we do a good job for them. Three months later, they need another fixture. Three mm-hmm. months na- later, they need another fixture. You know, I think we like we won one one customer and have done probably by the end of the year a uh, million dollars worth of work for them in like mm-hmm. literally like six months. Wow, it's repeat business. Yeah, that's yeah, what, I mean that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. These are areas that you can get into. That if you do the first one well, there's more after that. And as as a relatively new business owner, Jake, you'll probably attest to this as well. You know, I'm constantly thinking of okay, I've got all these gigs and whatnot, but I don't necessarily have one that's like, this turns into a consistent paycheck, mm-hmm. per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about the regional location that you're in. So you're in Evansville. I remember passing through Evansville, going down to Vincennes, and eventually over to um, St. Francisville, Illinois, where my grandma used to live. Um, what's, what's the region like that you guys are at? Are you guys staying just local to central Indiana, or how have you guys addressed the benefits and risks when it comes to expanding beyond a certain radius sure. of your territory? For us, we have an okay amount of fa- manufacturers, but really it's, the list is pretty small. Like For a company like ours, focus on capital projects and you know companies are, are cutting POs sometimes only like once a year. We've had some success in our local area, and some of those customers have turned into nationwide customers. So for us as a, as a company, we don't care as much about the location of the customer, right? Because most of our projects are, are built in a facility. We build it, we test it, we tear it down, we ship it. Sure, shipping costs might be a little bit more expensive, but when you're talking about a million-dollar project, what's you know $1,000 versus $10,000 is not as big of a percentage of the project. This past year, we have recently uh, have done our first international project 
in India, in Chennai, India, for uh, for Cat India. And how was that experience? I was going to say, I saw you, yeah, like, once again, you documented that trip very thoroughly, so I had to ask you, what was your first trip over there like? <laughs> it, it was a heck of an experience. I mean, it's so much different than here. I, I mean, I was probably in culture shock for, like, a week and a half. Yeah. Before I was like, okay. Like, I remember very specifically, like, I was about there for like a week and a half, and I was looking at the shops because there's shops everywhere, right? And they just mm-hmm. have their, their doors open, kind of like mm-hmm. a garage door almost. Yeah. And it wasn't until like that week and a half that I could look in past the front counter and actually see what was going on behind there. Okay. Just because there's so much stuff going on. You have sure. a lot of people on like scooters and it just, yeah. just so much going on. So earlier in the conversation, you said the goal of creating the biggest automation and you know integration company out there. Awesome motive to go after. How do you how do you get there? What's what 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 are the road steps that you're putting in place to make it to go from a 25 employee company in 2022, who was a one employee company in 2019, to scaling up over the next decade or two decades to be the elite automation that you want it to be? Uh, So, like one of the goals that we have is to be in all the countries want to be in in five years. How big is that list? Are we talking 5, 10, 20? We still don't know that yet. Okay. We right. still don't know that yet. But but the thing is is like it's like it's one having that goal and then uh, like we just brought on somebody to our company that is actually going to be responsible for start building to build out that list cuz all these things are strategic. We know this is the goal, so then we know that like maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's 2 years from now that we hire somebody like like we just did that's going to kind of go through that list right and we're also looking at it as like a marketing standpoint as well so like if we want to approach these different markets another big thing is like we have to focus on culture so what sells here in the united states in a certain way like the way we write a post and and, and the the illustration behind that post may not be the same thing that's required in india or sure. europe or mm-hmm. it, it, just because the mindset's completely different so that's one part of it is is like one identify the different countries that we do want to be in and, you know, obviously we're going to look at that as what makes the most, most business sense. So what's going to have high profit margins, what has the demand. And then over time, like, like let's say, for instance, like we want to do projects in India, mm-hmm. but profitability is not as high. Negotiation over there is crazy. Like you may have a $250,000 project and they're doing the same level of negotiation as you're doing like a $10 million project over here. You know, there's 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 ten interviews of negotiating the price of this project, trying to, you know, either get different terms or different financial costings. Yeah, I'm gonna change things up a little bit here as as we get to the end of the conversation. How do you feel being young has helped you in your business, right? Because this is probably the youngest average age that mm-hmm. we've had through all our interviews here at this event so far, right? You're young, you're ambitious, you're looking to build the biggest automation company in the world. You know, how, is, how has that been an asset to you? The biggest asset has probably been the fact that I have had more interaction with technology at a younger age. So, like, the people graduating high school right now are going to be a threat to me because <laughs> they, they grew up with a cell phone in their hand. I was the generation right. where the, the flip phone died in my generation. Yep. You know, so that was my age. So, like, I w- it wasn't until mid-high school that I had a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, maybe iPhone 3 or something like that, right? And they were, like, they were smartphones. You could search the Internet. But, like, our, our mobile data wasn't that good still. I mean, you could watch YouTube videos and stuff. But this next generation coming in, there's so much more YouTube content. I remember there was, like, hardly any YouTube channels back then. Yeah. 
and so they're going to have that advantage, and that's the advantage that I had as well, that, like, there's there's content, there's platforms, and, and also whenever you're growing up with those things, it's more part of your nature, mm-hmm. right? Like like how we will say to the, to the kids, why are you Snapchatting your friend, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there are definitely differences there. So wrapping up with um, with one final question, as you've grown elite, how did you become comfortable with the transition of handling the daily operations yourself and transitioning that to the mm. team? Yeah. Where you could then go on and focus on the higher vision and not be held back with the daily stuff. Because yeah. I can, I would assume it's your baby. You've grown on it. You know, mm-hmm. you've had invested so many hours into it. What's that? How, how did you come across? It was time to do that transition point to sure. step away from that area. Sure. Definitely part of that has always helped is because the, the vision of how big I want the company, like, you have to at that point say, I know for a fact I'll never be able to do all the things, right? You can never operate the biggest company and then and be able to, to do all the small details. So because of that, it makes you kind of like, you'll th- you're thinking outside the box now, right? You're thinking like, okay, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, uh, and so, so for example, this, this year was actually the first year where I started to pull back. I would say this whole entire year has been a year where I pulled back from every single department, uh, having individuals who are handling the RFQs without me, having you know the mar- marketing team that's handling a lot of things without me. I, so as far as involvement, I have probably the most involvement in our marketing still because I haven't found that person that can drive things the way that I, I want them driven, uh, both in like the type of content we want, in the speed of the execution, in the uh, also another challenge with our industry when you're hiring marketing individuals they don't have the technical background. Hmm. So that's the hard part. You really need like an engineer that's supporting them or you need to be able to find a way to train them to uh, learn how to extract engineering content. Yeah. Right? Well, you're also, you know, it's an area, you're, it's a strength for you right now. So it's probably going to be one of the last things you outsource yeah. because you're still kind of finding your voice. You mentioned it earlier, right? You go to shows and you're figuring out the type of content people want to hear until you have that really perfectly dialed in to say someone else do this like you're still refining that story mm-hmm. and, and i guess i have to ask one final question on top of this why do you want to build the biggest company in the world right give us a bit of that as as we as we close this out yeah i mean i think a big part of it is is, is money gives you the ability to do things and as the biggest company in the world the ultimate goal would like us be able to build communities right like we have every level of education on site the work site is on site we're able to bring in other uh, companies like you know, like McDonald's, bowling alleys, like things like that, to be within our our complex and be able to have people that go through the whole ecosystem. Now, like say for instance, if, if they was to go through our schooling, they don't have to stay with you know our ecosystem. They can go wherever they want, but nobody else is going to offer that same ecosystem. A big thing is, especially with the type of company we have, we have a lot of leverages in the sense of like, do you want to be a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, programmer? marketing what do you want to do right like you can literally choose a job title mm-hmm. and find that position within our company yeah so that's one thing that we definitely have an advantage that maybe some companies don't maybe if you're like a mechanical engineering firm and you're only going to do mechanical engineering mm-hmm. you only kind of have one path that you're able to to train up sounds like you're opening up options and and i think it goes back to your story and uh i love the unfettered ambition is unfettered a word i can't I think so i think it is yeah. like the unlimited ambition that you have yeah. in this right now i hope uh Everyone's pulling some lessons from that. And by the way, for everyone out there in the show notes, we're going to have ways to listen to Manufacturing Come Up, your new podcast, Connect with Elite Automation, Connect with You. 
and the team on LinkedIn. So as we close out, any final things I might have missed? Just everybody just strive as hard as they can for their goals, you know, be strategic in the way they do things, and uh, I think they'll be successful. Well, with that, Malachi, thanks for being on the show. Jake, thanks for co-hosting. We'll catch you again next time. Stay thirsty. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. There we go. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for Malachi for being the guest on this episode. Thanks to Jake Hall for co-hosting. A lot of fun recording this one and a lot of interesting takeaways from this one. one. One of my big ones is, hey, saying yes to a lot of opportunities, especially when you're young, when you're a younger company, you got to say yes to those things to start getting your name on the map. Anyway, I'd be interested to hear what your takeaways were by going to the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community. If you want to keep the conversation going there, that group lives on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com community. If you can request to join and shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn or a connection request so I know who you are, I will let you right into that group because I would love to hear some of your thoughts, some of your takeaways, not only from this episode, but from all the ones that we do. As we wrap up, if you do want to learn more from this episode in particular, you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 116. That'll take you to the show notes page for this episode. That's where you can connect with Malachi. If you want to tune in to his new podcast, The Manufacturing Come Up, I highly recommend subscribing to that there as well. And of course, as always, our bar recommendation from the start of the episode is sitting there as well. Before we wrap up, I do want to give a couple more shout-outs to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. A couple things. One, our next episode is actually going to be our compilation episode from the Vision Show and the Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference from here in 2022. So get ready for a ton of quick-hit interviews with a lot of manufacturing leaders coming at you next week. I think it's next week. Next week or the week after. It's coming up really soon, so keep your ears out for that. It'll either be one episode. I might split it up into two episodes like I sometimes do, but, you know, keep on listening. You'll hear that very, very soon. Also coming up soon, soon soon-ish, 2023, is the Automate Show hosted by A3 again in Detroit, Michigan. It's going to be on May 22nd through 25th, 2023. And if you want to get a jump on registration, that just opened up when this episode came out. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023 to register today. And as always, if you tune into this episode after that event has passed, well, hey, go to automate.org. A3 is constantly hosting big events for our industry. Anyway, as Jake said not too long ago, as we all said not too long ago, we're going to do one more time. Stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.